Scrooge was better than his word. He did it all and infinitely more. And to Tiny Tim, who did not die, he was a second father. He became as good a friend, as good a master, and as good a man as the good old city knew. Oh, hello. I didn't see you there. Welcome to the Two Guys Won't Work in a Cinema Christmas special. I'm Mark Donaldson, and joining me as ever is Stuart Flint. Hi, Stuart. <coughs> oh, good, yeah. All right. Sound like Tiny Tim yourself there. You're right. I am. I am fucking Tiny Tim. Is this your oh. last Christmas? Yeah. I don't think I've got another one in there. <laughs> oh, that's oh, tragic. This is but the I've ghost of spend... Christmas future right here. Yeah, I've chosen to spend my dying moments with you, listeners, talking about our top five favourite Christmas excellent, films. Excellent, excellent. And uh, do, you, do you have much uh, Christmas traditions in, in your house, Stuart? Eating a lot of food, unwrapping presents, and watching five Christmas films every year. Excellent. Uh, well, you know, uh, we've we've gone all out for this episode. We've got you know got ourselves a little log cabin. You know, there's snow, yep. snow on the windowsill. There's a roaring fire. We're drinking eggnog. We are. It's a nice mug of eggnog here. It's horrible. It's disgusting. I don't honestly don't know what the fuck eggnog is. I don't know what it is. I've never had it. It's. Yeah. I don't know what's in it, apart from eggs, yep. obviously. It's it, no, it's not good. It's just re- apparently it's just like full of because it's American. It's just like yeah. full of just like preservatives and all sorts of shit. Do you not make it? Yourself? I think you can make it yourself, but the stuff that you know you get in a carton is just it's like it's like uh. chemical warfare. I think in there, it's just not good. It's it is on my list of things to try before I die, which is obviously very soon. Months, so yeah. I need to yeah, I need to try it within the next couple of weeks. Um, <laughs> No, I'm actually drinking Jack Daniels honey. Oh, very nice. Last year, I don't know if they've got it this year, but they had like a Jack Daniels winter punch, which was like Jack Daniels apple juice, cinnamon, and various other things. It was bloody lovely. Nice warm mug of that. Yeah, it's always good. Anyway, back to Christmas. Yeah. So um, I suppose we should probably... um, well, let's uh, let's get the get the fire going a bit more, and then we'll uh, get back with uh, our top five Christmas films. Uh, can you just pass me another copy of Amazing Spider-Man Two, please, just for the fire? <laughs> I've got a lot of die-hard fires here. <laughs> Should we get rid of some of those? Uh, yeah, stick those on as well. So, so Christmas, Christmas a time for family, for togetherness and, and joy. Uh, yeah. So we've got our top five Christmas films, but I mean, was there any any you were thinking about that didn't quite make the cut? No, not really. No, no they've been cemented in stone for a long time. It's got to the point where Christmas comes around, and I don't watch any other Christmas films. Like I've never seen a one. It's a wonderful life. Well, that's what so I was gonna. Re- that's what I was gonna say. I really should watch yeah, it. Yeah, me too. I've never seen it all the way through, but it's one of those films that, like, because of The Simpsons and because of like popular culture being the way it is, you kind of know it back to front without ever actually seeing it. It's really odd. <sighs> it's one of the sort of few films in in sort of history that you know. It's just like, like Citizen Kane. I mean, I have seen Citizen Kane. But because of The Simpsons, know it pretty much, <laughs> pretty much off the top of my head. 
I so I don't really know much about Citizen Kane, but yeah, I know what you mean about the wonderful. It's a wonderful life. So he's he runs through the streets at the end. He's happy. Yes, you know he didn't kill that's himself. His family. Uh, you know, and yeah. it's all gonna work out okay. I feel like I especially need to watch it because it plays a fairly important. Um, it has a, it has a certain level of prominence in one of the films I'm going to okay. be including right. in my top five. We'll come to that later. Okay. I mean, other ones because I was talking to a few a few people about you know we're going to do this, and people were suggesting you know. The obvious ones, It's a Wonderful Life, uh, Santa Claus the Movie, uh, Adam on mm. our Facebook page suggested uh, Ernest Saves Christmas, which I did watch as a child, and I don't remember I, anything about it. I remember being very fond of Ernest yeah. when, I was, when I was a kid. I don't think I would be now. No, neither would I. I remember like we would go to the video shop as a, as a family, and you know I'd always be excited because there was a new Ernest film there. Can't imagine that happening now. Can't imagine it. <laughs> well, he, he is dead. So. Yeah, well, that's, that's true. Yeah. That helps. That helps make it impossible to imagine. <laughs> and uh, Michael Clancy, host of the High Hat Film Podcast and friend of mine, uh, Christmas uh, Four Christmases with Vince Vaughn and Reese Witherspoon. I'm not entirely sure he was joking um, about that one. Um, but I think another one that came up that was Lethal Weapon. Now I think oh, yeah? what we want to bring in here before we do our top five is a few qualifying criteria. Okay. Yeah. Because you know, it's not it's not all right to just you can't just include Iron Man three for example because it's set at Christmas. Because right, there's nothing no. there's nothing about the plot really that isn't. Rambo is also set at exactly. Christmas. Exactly. Rambo First Blood. Well, just First Blood. Also, no, no, yeah, First Blood. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's set at Christmas. There's like loads of films that are, are set at Christmas but don't necessarily have anything to say about Christmas or don't have particularly Christmassy themes. Um, Mm. So we're not going to do those. Um, we're also not going to do films that... I remember the first time we, we proposed in a Christmas special and Alvin said, oh, The Great Escape. And we're like, what? You know, The Great Escape, it's always on at Christmas. It's like, yeah, no. <laughs> it's not a top five films that ITV churn out over Christmas. Yeah. This is our top five films about Christmas. Toy Story is on every fucking Christmas. Does it make it a Christmas film? No. Although it does have a Christmasy ending, but that's by the by. It does. Um, but yeah, shall we crack on with number five? What are, what are our qualifiers? Because we said what doesn't count, but... Right, okay, well what doesn't count is basically, you know, it's not enough for it to be set at Christmas. Like I say, it has to have yeah. a message or, a, you know, a, a theme that kind of ties in to what Christmas is about. You know, it... Well, for me, for me, a Christmas film uses what all the things, all the connotations of Christmas and all the themes and feelings and memories it evokes, yeah. it uses them, the film, it uses those things about Christmas in a, an important way in the film. Yeah. And it and it might not use them in a traditional way, it might subvert them, which, which we might really come to. We're setting out to number one, aren't we? <laughs> no, no, I, I, I'm thinking actually like three of my, okay. three of my, uh, my top five do that. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what's important to me. In a, in a Christmas film. Okay. But we'll come to all that. Let's get started. Let's get started. Let's get so do you want to do your number five first? Go on then. So uh, my number five is uh, is Elf. Okay. Starring all right. Will Ferrell and Zoe Deschanel. Who is blonde in that, that film, and that's one of the main reasons I didn't really connect with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, <coughs> she looks weird. Um, I I only saw Elf a few years ago. I saw it advertised on TV. I thought it looks. It had a clip of him getting hit by a taxi, and I thought well, that looks pretty funny. <laughs> and it really made me laugh. And 
I don't know. So I'm not a massive <coughs> Will Ferrell fan. It's not like I'll lap up any shite that he's in. Mm-hmm. But there's just something really... I like that fish-out-of-water comedy. And it is a really sort of hokey, traditional kind of... It reminds me of like those 80s family films I used to watch when I was a kid. Yeah. Like All that sort of stuff that got made in the 80s that I love. All those n- films that have, have so much nostalgia. Elf just kind of reminds me of that. It has that same feeling. You don't really seem to get many films like that anymore. The one that's just as enjoyable for adults as it is children. Mm-hmm. Whereas a lot of... I mean, I don't really watch that many kids' films now. I'm 29 years <laughs> old, but... <laughs> If I do catch a glimpse of some, they're all, they're all animated or they're all just like very much geared towards children. And this, I don't know, I enjoyed this. It had sort of adult-ish jokes about, you know, don't eat the yellow snow and he's, and stuff like that. And he's eating bubble gum off the yes. sidewalk and all this stuff. Um, I don't know, yeah, and I just really like it. It makes me laugh. I like that. That first 45 minutes where it's all fish out of water comedy, it's really good. And the last half... It's just a really good old-fashioned, heartwarming little Christmas story, right. but done done quite modern. Yeah. About the logistics of how he, how a, 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 the sleigh is powered and all that stuff. It does. It loses me in the last twenty minutes or so, if I'm honest. <laughs> but yeah, I, I like it. it. Makes me laugh, and I watch it every Christmas. Okay, that's that's. Not really much to say about it, really. To be honest, because it, it's a new edition, just to make up a five. I really haven't got any, <laughs> anything else that would come close to being in the five. Uh, well, I suppose speaking of new editions, mine I only actually saw for the first time uh, last weekend on BBC Two, uh, which is Bill Forsyth's Comfort and Joy. Um, Bill Forsyth was the director of Local Hero, uh, Gregory's Girl, uh, and it's about a, a radio DJ played by uh, Bill Patterson, who is dumped by his girlfriend a couple of days before Christmas. Which is not that's not a nice time to be left alone, no. and he's kind of plunged headlong into this existential crisis. You know, faced with Christmas by himself, he doesn't doesn't quite know what to do, and kind of gets involved with these two rival uh, families that have, that have fallen out over ice cream uh, at Christmas. <laughs> Insane. Um, but now, you know, you might be going, but Mark, right? This surely just falls into what you said. You know, it's just set at Christmas. It's about like ice cream wars. It's you know. No, 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 my friends. There's a deeper, there's a much deeper thing. And it is about that whole sense of, you know, it's it's one of the, only, the few films I've seen to kind of capture that sense of, you know, spending Christmas alone. You know, it's not a, it's not a thing that, that Christmas films tend to do. No. You know, it's always about kind of, by the end of it, fair enough, maybe they were faced with Christmas alone, but hey, look, you know, they've found each other. Kind of, I know Planes, Trains and Automobiles is about Thanksgiving, but the ending of that's mm. kind of a similar thing, you know. John Candy yeah, is welcomed much. into the home of Steve Martin, you know. So there's that sense. Whereas Comfort and Joy, it doesn't, you know, he he's a bit happier with his place in the world by the end of it. But at the end of the day, he chooses to do the Christmas shift at the radio station so that everybody else can be with their family. There's kind of like a, a sort of heartwarming, almost sort of martyr quality uh, to his character. And also, just at a base level, warring families over just you know a petty dispute—that's Christmas Day right there. That's everybody's <laughs> Christmas, you know. Yeah. That just that just wraps up. But yeah, I mean, it's it's that great sort of Bill Forsyth thing of, yes, there there is sentimentality and, um, perhaps overly, but um, it's got like a hard edge and a kind of a sort of slightly depressing subject matter in it. So yeah, it's it's a it's a really good really good film, and I will be watching it every year from now on if I can get hold of it on DVD, which apparently is quite difficult. 
Oh dear. We live in a, in a world of online piracy. <laughs> well, we'll have to see. It's a, it's a Scottish film. It's a Scottish film, yeah. Had to get one. Oh, now we know. Now we know why it's in the top five. <laughs> <coughs> I think I've caught your cough from just uh, being in these close quarters in this log cabin. It is contagious. Yeah. Oh. Um, go on. What's your number four? My number four is uh, Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street, the nineteen forty-seven original. Um, although the first time. I was introduced to the story of Miracle on 34th Street. was the remake with uh, Richard Attenborough. And the girl from Matilda and everything else at that period. What was her name again? The girl in Mrs. Doubtfire. Just Matilda. Everyone knows us fucking Matilda. Yeah, Matilda in it. Um, Which my grandparents took me to see in this lovely, fucking lovely cinema in Edinburgh that no longer exists, uh, the Odeon uh, on South Clark Street. Uh, Just this gorgeous old Art Deco uh, cinema with like a balcony and all this kind of thing. And um, yeah, it's uh, the, the the original. Um, it's actually, I think, bizarrely, it's actually got much more to say about sort of the rise of commercialism in relation to Christmas because um, it's all about you know the. I don't know what it's about. Is it is it about the Santa Claus and no one believes it? Basically, uh, so and he's in court. He gets yeah. Taken to Chris court Kringle, uh, kindly old man, uh, is sort of just watching the Thanksgiving parade. Um, in New York and he sort of comes yeah. across the, the Santa that they've hired as a drunk and uh, he's like this is despicable you know you, you, this man is he. you can't send this man out to meet children I'll you know I'll, I'll be Santa Claus uh, so he's this great Santa Claus they hire him to be the store Santa but he you know he believes he's Santa which is insane surely because Santa doesn't exist you know <laughs> and uh, through his time working in in Macy's, he kind of comes up. He, he sort of sends customers elsewhere to get to get their shopping because Macy's doesn't have quite what they want, which sort of sets like all the this this store bosses. You know, instead of thinking, uh, first of all, I think this is an insane idea. We're going to lose loads of money. But what actually happens is that they get the, it's a PR boon basically because they're they they don't care about making profit. What they care about is the customer getting exactly what they want. Um, and basically, Santa's there. Sorry, Chris Gringo is is there to you know to to bring back the the message of Christmas to a world that's kind of forgotten it in this kind of rising consumerist society. Uh, and then at the end, he beats a guy up and ends up in court on a lunacy uh, trial, which has to prove whether or not he is Santa Claus. Why is, why does Santa beat a guy up? Because um, he's not a very nice man. And he, he just oh. he just bops him on the nose. No, Santa's a nice man, but the guy in the the, the, psych, the psychiatrist in the in the in the store, he's not a very nice man. So he just bops him on the nose, as, as you know. I think we all would, you know, oh, when yeah. introduced to that character. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and yeah, it ends up they basically they put him on trial really to prove that he's insane because he thinks yeah. he's Father Christmas. Um, and so it's up to. Up to the lawyer who lives next door to um, Margaret O'Hara's uh, central character. And, and that's another thing which is great about Miracle on 34th Street, is that it has a strong female character at the centre of it. She's a career woman who, fair enough, you know, she doesn't believe in fairy tales or, you know, anything like that. And she's brought her child up to be the same. So also, he, Chris Kringle's there to, to teach them about magic and, and wonder uh, all over again. And it is it is a utterly heartwarming story with, with that... Like I say, that kind of nice, subtle 
dig at commercialism, which, you know, 60 years ago, <laughs> it's still very relevant yeah. today, if not more so. Is the, uh, is the Matilda version, is that pretty much the same, or do they change it? It's pretty much the same. I think the courtroom scenes are a bit more over the top. Like, uh, they bring in reindeers as character witnesses, and it's it's all a bit more... Whereas in, in the 1947 version, it's basically... They bring in the, um, the prosecuting lawyer's son, and it's like, you know, yeah. do you believe in Father Christmas? Yes, of course I do. He's sitting right there. And then they bring in the letters to Santa... That's the big sort of triumphant bit towards the end, is when the letters yeah. to Santa are dumped on the on the judge's uh, booth, basically. Um, so yeah, it's, I think the the courtroom scenes are kind of played a bit more for comedy in the in the remake. And Richard Attenborough is is great, you know, he's he's, he's great in it as well. Um, and I mean, it's not one of those remakes that completely destroys the original i think it, is, it still works but i think that original one is just a little bit sweeter just that little bit more it's got packs a bit more of a punch as well yeah cool i'll have to give it a watch because i've never seen it oh you'll hate it you'll be like oh it's all sentimental shite <laughs> it's just slushy i, just put, I don't know like, oh. i just put fucking elf in my top five well, so it's, not like I'm... it's christmas it's christmas i'll let a lot slide on christmas <laughs> So what's your number four? My number four is a little-known film called Black Christmas. Oh, okay, I'm aware of it. Not to be confused with the remake, I'm talking about the 1973 original. I'm not sure of the date, it's 70s. Yeah. But they did a remake a few years ago, which is one of the worst <laughs> things I've ever seen. It really is an absolute abomination. Um, but the original Black Christmas, um, Halloween wrongfully gets the limelight for being the first slasher flick. Mm -hmm. It was the first huge slasher flick, but Black Christmas came out a few years before it and is is pretty much the same kind of film. Um, and that really, that is was one of the first slasher films. And, uh, and that was the certainly, I think, the first slasher film as we know them today, what Halloween sparked a hundred copycat yeah. films of. Uh, so Black Christmas is actually the first ever real proper slasher film, I think. And it's really good, um, and it's what I was talking about, sort of subverting. It's not a pleasant film. It is. A, it's absolutely a horror film, but it, it's Christmas is at the centre of it. Um, so it's about these girls in a sorority house, uh, and it's all about them sort of being together at Christmas. And there's this killer lurking in the attic who's slowly sort of picking them off one by one. Um, and there's just this vibe of Christmasness going the whole way through it. One of one of them is, uh, I think, it's, is it Margot Killer, the woman from Superman? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's in it. She's like a drunk, and she's sort of really spiteful and really sour about Christmas. And you've got other people who are really romantic about it, and they're all looking forward to seeing their family. Uh, you've got a dad who's turned up trying to find his daughter because uh, she's been killed right. and he doesn't know. And and they're all out looking for her and there's yeah it, all these things about christmas it, it runs the whole way through it the fact that it's christmas and you'll see in families sort of you know the the heartache of not being able to be with their loved ones because they don't know where they are or they're, they're dead um it's christmasness emphasizes the horror really mm. really well um and if it wasn't set at christmas if it was just you know a weekend it would there'd really be half of it would be half as good as a film um so yeah, it's and it's just really tastefully, really classily done, and it was, I think it was a, it's become a bit of a cult favourite now because it was quite low budget Canadian film. Right. Okay. Um, and it 
very much overlooked I think didn't like make loads of money didn't get draw a huge audience but I think over time as people started to you know look back at the genre and it started to gain a lot got a, little, a lot more of a cult following because people recognise it as actually like the first slasher film and I'd really recommend it genuinely like okay. creepy I think it's quite scary it's one of the few films that I find quite find quite scary the, the villain in it is quite menacing you never see him but you hear these phone calls um, and it was that old sort of cliche the calls are coming from within the house <laughs> the big the big trip it's great I love it I I noticed it was on Canadian Netflix last night so uh, maybe give that a watch this week definitely watch it definitely watch it some good performances in it as well it's, um, it's mostly comprised of females uh-huh. and they're not all sort of like really weak and um, they're not just picked off as like stupid victims or whatever there's there's they're not just running around like you know cannon fodder mm. or whatever. They, they, they when they're in the house, they're talking and they're and they're, they're having discussions and you're hearing their, their characters are explored and they they have issues and things that they're going through and that. It's so it's really good good performances. Olivia Hussey, who sees the main woman in it, she was in Romeo and Juliet, I think. <laughs> Which version? <laughs> Fucking one of them. A famous version from about the seventies. <laughs> So yeah, that's my number four. All right, Highly cool. recommend cool. it. Uh, what's your number three? Let's, let's keep you talking for a bit. Number three, Gremlins. Hey. Can't have a Christmas without Gremlins. Uh, although apparently you can. <laughs> <laughs> I like Gremlins fine, but I like these more. Sorry. Um, Gremlins was the first film I ever saw on VHS. <laughs> I remember wow. someone got us a, VH, a VHS player and gave us and that that on video that they'd recorded off the TV had <laughs> ad breaks in the middle <laughs> uh, was it at Christmas as well because that would have been great I can't remember all I remember that one of the adverts was for a cigarette and it was not long after that that they were banned oh right oh um, that must be been a... yeah because I, I kind of remember cigarettes being banned so I mean you must have been quite late to the old VHS I think we might <coughs> yeah we didn't have them when they first came out I think my mum was quite poor or just never bothered buying one. So someone just gave us one. You anyway, you were really playing up the tiny Tim element. Oh, I think my mum was quite <laughs> poor. <and laughs> oh, oh, dear. Oh, I only get my first VHS until 1997. <laughs> but, yeah, Gremlins is the first film I ever saw on VHS. It's one of the earliest films I can remember just watching and... Oh, it's so Christmassy to me. Everything about it, and even though it's a horror yeah. film, it's like a comedy horror. Again, it's it's Christmasness is just a huge thing about it. Gizmo popping out of his little box at Christmas, like this wonderful Christmas present, yeah. and then it all goes to shit, and they're <laughs> going around just gremlins tormenting everybody and <coughs> ruining everyone's Christmas. I don't know. Can't really explain why I love it. It's a Christmas film, but I don't know. Just because it's so Christmassy, I've got to watch it every Christmas and, and Gremlins I think is a really good film um, I've not been able to work it out but it's it, there's something about consumerism being told to you in, in Gremlins because Joe Dante you look at his other films like The Burbs mm-hmm. and um, what was that one with the toys Commandos he, uh, t- did he do Toy Soldiers is that Toy, yeah, Dante? Toy Soldiers yeah that's that's supposed to be about like wait was uh, it Toy Soldiers no, hang on was it called Toy Soldiers I think it might have been. I think it was, but that just seems too obvious. (laughs) It's one of those things where it's just like... 
Then with like Tommy Lee Jones is the voice of one of the the toys that come to life. Yeah. That you've got like the alien ones that are really funny. No, wait, Toy Soldiers it? is a film with um yeah, small soldiers. Small soldiers. Small soldiers. Toy Soldiers apparently yeah. stars uh Sean Astin and Will Wheaton. When terrorists seize control of a boarding school, a group of troublemaking boys decide to resist them. That sounds alright, that actually. I'd watch yeah. it. But yeah, so Small Soldiers was supposed to be about like American imperialism mm-hmm. and uh, the Burbs obviously about like white suburbia, paranoia, view of the, the outsider. Gremlins 2, which he did, is a proper send-up of sequels in general. It, it was taking the piss out of itself, um, which I didn't really like, get the first time I watched it. I yeah. was like, this is shit. But then reading about it, it's like, ah, actually, now you get what he's going for. It's really mm-hmm. clever. So he, he's, he's good at having these subtexts throughout his films and gremlins i'm sure there's something about consumerism and maybe capitalism going on in there because his dad is an inventor of just useless products and they've got all these useless shit in their house like the, the orange juicer that doesn't work yeah um, well he's an inventor and, isn't he yeah he's, his dad's made, all use, the, like, he's inv- made all the products yeah. yeah he invents all this useless shit um gizmo just laps up pop culture like he's sitting there watching a wonderful life on tv and copies it and does all this stuff um and then the gremlins basically once they pop up they go around just trashing everything like um playing around with everyone's gadgets and fucking up like traffic lights and all of this and i can't remember the detail but they they basically just interfere with everyone's stuff you remember that there's that guy who rants about gremlins in machineries and all that stuff and then they drive a bulldozer through. They <laughs> fuck with his TV area, and when he goes outside, they drive a bulldozer through his house. And you've got the whole scene where they're in—they're all in a theatre singing "Hi Ho, Hi Ho." It's yeah. off the work we go. Um, the, the final scene is all set in a toy store, and they're playing around with like ET toys and chainsaws and all this stuff. There's there's so much, so many references to just like pop culture and toys and tat just <laughs> products and materialism and consumerism there's definitely something being being said there i mean as soon as it opens you've got like the guys trying to flog christmas trees really cheap and the kids walking around in a christmas tree because that's what he sells for his job and um you've got billy who works in the bank and that really mean old woman who won't let lend people money or let them off the debts that they are yeah, there's, this, yeah. there's this theme the whole way through it so it's a really really clever film and it's just so much fun to watch Gremlins. I really love it. And it's it's just one of those classic 80s films. It's one of the ones that... It's, it's always one that I think of as a good example. Like Spielberg said he knows his best characters, his most iconic characters were Indiana Jones and E.T. because you would recognise mm-hmm. them just from a shadow. Yeah. And, and there's so many of them in the 80s, and I think the Gremlins are one of them. And so much so, I'm astounded they haven't remade or rebooted that franchise now. Because that's, that's that. what everyone is You've doing now. you You've jinxed it. Oh, I don't know. It's just <laughs> really astonishes me. <laughs> Announcement will be made next week as soon as we release this. Merry Christmas, everyone. <laughs> We've fucking ruined Gremlins. <laughs> but you, especially considering you can still buy Gizmo toys today and the film hasn't been out for like 25 years. The film came out. Um, yeah. And you can still buy Gremlins merchandise on the shelves. True. So True. yeah, I just I really like it, and I I watch it every Christmas. Great. So um, yeah, my my number three in uh, I suppose aptly enough with your talk of uh, of Gizmo, it's some other cute uh, furry creatures. It's a Muppets <laughs> Christmas Carol. 
Um, because let's face facts, you know, um, Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol is the most influential, you know, Christmas story of all. It's, you know, the old woman in Gremlins who doesn't lend money, Scrooge, you know, the yeah. whole thing in Miracle on 34th Street about how it's not Margaret O'Hara, it's Maureen O'Hara, how Maureen O'Hara's character doesn't believe and, you know, and she's therefore, <coughs> through this this wonderful experience on Christmas Eve, you know, comes to believe in, in Christmas and everything that it stands for. Yeah. You know, it's a Christmas well, carol um, trip right the way through, you know, all of these did things. They, they said on a QI I was watching once that the reason everyone thinks, associates uh, Christmas with snow and white Christmas, that's become so um, prevalent in English sort of culture, mm-hmm. was because Charles Dickens wrote a few books, um, or what, what the stuff that he wrote, yeah. like A Christmas Carol, had snow at Christmas. Uh-huh. Even though it barely yeah. ever happens, we barely ever had, but there were like, there were a few white Christmases when he was a kid. Mm-hmm. And because he had that when he was growing up, obviously influenced his works, and the witches had that massive impact on on British culture, of, which depictions of Christmas as being white, even though they never are, no, barely ever snows on Christmas. But because it did a few times when he was a kid, that's just changed the way we. It's, yeah, it's because I mean those stories were you know on. He's one of those authors that was just so hugely successful while he was alive, you know. Yeah. Um, to the you know he would go around do readings. He would you know. Hugely popular writer, and as a result of that, yeah, it's, you know he's he's influenced the culture, and he continues to influence the culture even now. Um, but the reason, you know, the reason I put a Muppets Christmas Carol in is because I'm not. It's not because you know it's the greatest representation of that story. Well, it kind of is, um, but I mean, it's <laughs> it's a story that's been told loads of times before. I mean, Doctor Who's ripped it off, I think, three or four times, and not just in its Christmas specials. Um, we've got Scrooged with Bill Murray, which is which is a great sort of modern day twist on it. There was even a an ITV one off drama in which Ross Kemp played uh, a hardened loan shark called Ebenezer. No, I think he was called Eddie Scrooge on a housing estate in London, and he was visited by three ghosts on Christmas Eve. Brilliant! It's it, you know it, it, it's great, um, but I'm up as Christmas Carol is just. It, it tells a story, you know, in a way that's, you know, great for kids and adults alike. And, and it's the Muppets, and everybody loves the Muppets. You know, Kermit is Kermit is Bob Cratchit. You know, Michael Caine, who unfortunately can't sing, and there's a lot of singing required because it's a Muppets film. Um, but he's great as this kind of really, as the cantankerous Scrooge. It's a, it's a great performance. Uh, like I say, when he's not called to sing, um, and uh, it's it's just a beautiful realization of that of that story, which you know you get, you know I, we don't really do that so much anymore. Like, you know, you have, we'd have more kind of wise and stuff like that doing their like spoof versions of old stories and old films, and there's there's not so much spoof now. I mean, what you get is you get throwaway gags in in Family Guy or you know things like that. This is this is yeah. the Muppets properly telling telling that story and bringing that story to a new audience in just the most joyous uh, of ways. And the songs are brilliant. Like it's so the soundtrack, the score is 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 great as well. You can enjoy that just by itself, you know. And it gives you the the memories of the film. And yeah, it's 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 the most joyous Christmas film. And I watch it every year because it's just it just makes me feel all warm inside. It's great. Aww. It's lovely. I've, ne- I've never seen it. I went to watch it last year, I think, on Netflix mm-hmm. and turned it off after five minutes because it had it, they started singing. Yeah, you don't like singing, do you? 
I don't like musicals. <coughs> this is the thing. I forget that the Muppets is always musical because. I'm sure when I was a kid I had like a Muppets video and it was like a variety show yeah. thing. And it wasn't full of singing, I mean, it was just like sketches. I yeah, thought. I mean, the Muppet Show was sketches and then songs, you know, it was a proper variety show style. Yeah, it might, thing. it might have had the odd song or whatever, yeah. but. I, and then I never saw any Muppets at all until that film came out a few years ago. And, and I remember you, you were there and we all went to watch it mm-hmm. as a group. And then I had no idea there was going to be singing <laughs> in it. And, and I remember just sinking into my chair oh, as soon as the first God. song. I was like, it's a musical. And you'd all been taking the piss out of me about not liking musicals before that. And it's like, no no one told me. <laughs> no one gave me any heads up that this is a musical. And just, yeah. Oh, but it's, I went it's to watch wonderful. It. I went to watch the Christmas one. I was like, five minutes in, again, forgot there's That's no such songs a great song. I, the like, oh, I can't be dealing with this. The opening song's wonderful. There's magic in oh. the air, you know. There's magic in the air. Oh, you're just you're making me uncomfortable right now <laughs> singing that. I don't know. Maybe maybe one day I'll give it a go. Okay. It's funny. I watched White Christmas last night, and um, which is a what's that? White Christmas. What's that? <laughs> what's the, what's the one with Dudley Moore? In? That's uh, Santa Claus the movie. Mm. No, White Christmas is the Bing Crosby um, big studio musical, which actually, aside from the last five minutes, isn't really that Christmassy. It's just one of those kind of, no. we're going to put on a show to save this hotel at Christmas. <laughs> so there's that sense. But I mean, all like all the songs before they, you know, they do White Christmas. Um, it's just standard kind of big musical style songs. There's nothing kind of intrinsically Christmassy about it. It's really weird. Because <laughs> I've never seen it before. Uh, and I watched it last night. I was like, ah. <laughs> there's a song about snow and then there's White Christmas. And that's really about it. <laughs> it's really strange. Yeah, I've never seen that. I've, po- what's the uh, what's the one with the the train? The train and Tom Hanks and it's CGI. Oh, Polar Express. Yeah, that's another one that people talk about at Christmas. Do you I've think? I thought that. like people are like really properly creeped out by it. Or, and I think there's something. Yeah, it's because it's got that uncanny yeah. valley thing. Like, the eyes, the eyes are dead. <laughs> <laughs> but it's supposed to be a good film. Okay, I think. Right. it's Robert Zemeckis, isn't or, or, it? Yeah, it's just, you know he's quite good. And Tom Hanks, what's Tom Hanks ever done that's not good? I don't know. It's a good, good point. He has done loads of shit. Yeah, I know, but he's always so likeable that you kind of forgive him for it. He is. Yeah, he's never been. I've never seen him bad in anything, but he has done some dreadful things. Yeah. Like Spielberg's The Terminal. Yeah, that's true. Larry Crown was pretty bad. Mm. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> Um, moving on from Tom Hanks, this is where our uh, top fives converge, so yeah. we get to have a little chat with each other about, well, number two, do you want to do it, or shall I? You can do it's it. Home Al- it's Home Alone. Of course, of course, it's Home Alone. It takes, uh, it takes the last 20 minutes of Skyfall and stretches it out into a two-hour movie. <laughs> It's great, isn't it? Home Alone. It's such a good film. It's. Uh, I don't know what else to say. It's just. I mean, obviously, the whole Christmas, the whole Christmas thing is, you know, he's all alone at Christmas, uh, Christmas, and there's that great thing yeah. about how you know, as a kid, you know, being left alone and to have the house all to yourself is like the most amazing thing in the world, and then reality kicks in, and you're like, I don't know how to do anything. <laughs> I don't know how to fend for myself. <laughs> 
I'm going to yeah, die here. So this is terrible. It's, it's written by John Hughes, and I, you look at his films. He does have this. It doesn't always work for me, but he he does seem to be quite very interested in tapping in to young people, like what it's like to be a kid or what it's like to be mm-hmm. a teenager, and and making something specifically for them that will speak to them. And it doesn't always work for me. Like there's something really weird about Breakfast Club to me. Okay. It feels like an adult, like it's written by adults for teenagers and just comes across as really disingenuous. Um, but Home Alone did that a great job and I watched it as a kid and I was like, I would love to be Home yeah. Alone and I'd probably do most of the same. I, the stuff that he gets up to, I was like, I wish I was creative enough to think of doing that and that looks awesome. Yeah, It is like a turning to something like a house, which when you're a kid, it's easy to... Forget, but you used, to, you used to run around a house and yeah. play hide and seek and things. Houses are big things, yeah. And you forget that as you get older, and they seem suddenly really small. But tapping into that, a house being like this huge maze that you can run around and have a game of cat and mouse with burglars, it's just fantastic. Yeah. It's such a good film. And Christopher Columbus did a really good job directing it, I think. And he knew how to, because I think John Hughes tends to go a bit overboard when he directs his own films. Mm. He, it's, they can get pretty hammy, but Christopher Columbus, or Chris Columbus, knows he knows how to, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's got just to find the right balance. It's got the, just the right balance of like slapstick comedy um, with sort of sentimentality. I guess really, it's yeah, it just really strikes that balance so well. Um, like the you know the the psychotic uh, neighbor, you know. Who's actually, you know, he's got quite a quite a sad, sad real life story that you you find out as the film goes yeah. on, and that never feels sort of mawkish or anything. It's just it's it's kind of sweet and, and touching that they kind of find this this common ground. Um, oh, it's, it's such a good film. It is good and great performances as well. Yeah. Although it's once you've seen Goodfellas <laughs> Casino, it is hard to watch Joe Pesci trying not to swear <laughs> when he burns his hands. Like, He's literally it's just funny making stupid noises because you yeah. know he just wants to shout "motherfucker." <laughs> it's, well, it's funny because Joe Pesci and also um, Peter Capaldi, having done his first series of Doctor Who, you watch both of them like you know Joe Pesci after doing Goodfellas, Peter Capaldi after doing the thick of it. And they can just swear just with a look. <laughs> you know, when you're watching the film, you're just like, oh my goodness, if you put a microphone up to those eyes, the words that would come out, oh, gutter language. Um, but, I su- but, you know, I suppose, on, on the surface level, a kid left home alone, having to fend off burglars, isn't necessarily Christmassy, is it? Pick it up. <laughs> I threw the Are ball. Are you asking me? I'm throwing the ball to you. Oh, um, what is the, are you asking me if it's a Christmas? Film? Yeah, I'm asking you how is it, how how is it a Christmas film, Stuart? Because we've talked about you know. The... Do you know what? I was in the pub with Amy, our good friend Amy, mm-hmm. um, and I said I was doing it. <coughs> I said I was doing a top five Christmas films. Yeah. And I said Home Alone, and she went, Home Alone's not a Christmas films. Like you fucking what? And I've heard a couple of people say this before. It's not a Christmas yeah. film. I asked three different strangers that night. Jesus. <laughs> Can I? Can you settle an argument? For we'll just add the urinal. Home Alone's a Christmas just, film. Just stand at the urinal, turn around. Excuse me, mate. Home Alone. <laughs> what? Home Alone is a Christmas film. Uh, whatever, what, whatever you say, mate. Just please, just let me piss in peace. 
I'd ask people and they'd sort of hesitate for a second and she's like, look, they're hesitating, they have to think about it. It's like, they're hesitating because it's such a fucking weird question. <laughs> if you sit there and go, excuse us, mate, are we in Weatherspoons? They go, yeah, definitely. They'd answer yeah. straight away because it's a normal question. If you go, excuse us, mate, what, what is this that my drink's on right now? Like, what? What is, what is my drink sitting on right now? A table. A table. Yeah, it's a table. They, they'd hesitate because it's a fucking weird question. Um, but yeah, uh, Home Alone, I don't know, it's a Christmas film for me because not only does Christmas drive the plot or centre around the plot in a big yeah. way, again, all that coming family being together for Christmas, the whole, the whole way through her mum's going... You want to get back for Christmas. I need mm-hmm. to be back with my son for Christmas. It's all about yeah. getting back for Christmas Day. Because for a child, Christmas Day is a really big, important oh, yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, the the um, the burglars are looking to burgle all the houses because everyone's away for Christmas and hoping to score all the Christmas presents and things uh, around. It looks so... It's all snowy and it just it evokes everything you think of when you think of Christmas to me. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't know. It's just easy. good answer. No, that that's it. That's it. Correct. I mean, absolutely. Um, I think they maybe. I think they kind of take it like one step too far for Home Alone two, mm. which I do enjoy. But it is that whole sequel thing of they just like make it so much bigger, and it's like, what's the most Christmassy place we can then put them in? It's New York, where there's it's just Christmas everywhere, and they put them in a big hotel, and and it's. I think it does lose something. In, in Lost in New York, whereas Home Alone does have just that really beautiful kind of thing about a kid being alone in the house and how great that is until you realise that there's there's dangerous people outside wanting to get in, and about how yeah. you you know you want you want to be with your family and, and be with people that love you on on Christmas Day. Um, so yeah, it is a Christmas film, Amy. All right. <laughs> yeah, Amy. Um. As is our next film. Yes. Now, the thing is, I think the key here, before we say what number one is, is to not sound smug. Because, <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's definitely a Christmas film. You know, I can see why people don't think it's a Christmas film. A couple of years ago, I showed a girlfriend of mine that I was going out with at the time. This was a couple of days before Christmas. I said, let's watch, let's watch it. And she's like, it's not a Christmas film, is it? And about halfway through, she said it again. And I was like, just stick with it. <laughs> just stick with it. <laughs> Okay, there's a thing in here, you know, and it's it's, uh, and this is Die Hard. Die Hard. Die Hard. Number, the best Christmas film Say it like ever a made. Smug, smug cunt. It's Die Hard. Yeah, obviously, okay. Die Hard. Yeah. Duh! It uh, is a Christmas film. God. No, I, I get that. There's there. I think there are some legitimate um, reasons, complaints as to why it isn't. Yeah, there's a legitimate resistance to it being called a Christmas film. Because it's not exclusively a Christmas film. You could watch Die Hard in the middle of the year. Um, yes, so for me, I, 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 couldn't, I wouldn't want to watch Home Alone in the middle of the year, but I could quite happily watch the Die, Die oh, really? Hard. And I think, because the other ones aren't Christmas films. Die Hard 2 is so kind I, of, but... It's set at Christmas, but I'd argue that Die Hard 2, even though essentially it's the same film, mm. Die Hard 2 is not a Christmas film because it doesn't have any of the same, I don't know, it just doesn't okay. evoke Christmas in the way the first one does. But yeah, if I wanted to watch all the Die Hard films in the summer, I wouldn't think, oh, I can't watch Die Hard 1 though. Right, okay. I'd, just, I'd put it on. Yeah. And it wasn't released at Christmas either, I think it was released in July or something. Oh, right, okay. But 
So I guess it, yeah, it, it it just depends on what you get from it as a person. I just think but I mean, I think the f- I I I just yeah, I just think it it it's a really great Christmas film, and and its first ten minutes sets it up really. It tells you this isn't going to be a typical Christmas film because it it's got like John McClane in a limo complaining about the blazing hot yeah. LA sun at, <laughs> in December. And a Run DMC Christmas song coming on. And it just tells you everything. This is not a typical Christmas film. It's obviously a subversion of all the yeah. tropes and things that you would come to normally expect in a Christmas film. Um, so, yeah, it's it's by no means a conventional, traditional Christmas film. Um, and a lot of the connections it has with Christmas are sort of quite subverted and played around with. I, I think know. it's I think it's, it's just... on nodding terms with, with the more... Yeah overt Christmas themes you know like the, the yeah. snow all that kind of thing you know it's it's like well you know this we're going to just take him as far away from that as possible we're going to put him in LA where it's but just yeah. scorching hot um, and they're going to have a Christmas party in this sort of like sleek tower block you know it's not oak panelling it's not open fires it's glass and chrome and and things like that um, you know let's just take it as far away from from Christmas as possible but there's still just the his core reason for you know the core driving force behind all of John McLean's actions is Christmas he wants to yeah, be yeah he wants to get with his wife yeah. and, and he's he's come back to he's come to LA to see his kids at Christmas and it's always juxtaposed you always like cross-cutting with like um, his kids at home that new supporter trying to get into the house and talk to his kids yeah. to get a scoop on his you, you, the, that drive is not just to be to get his wife back and rescue his wife. It's to be with his family at Christmas, yeah. and it's that Christmas thing just runs the whole way through it. It's not just oh, John McClane's putting glass out of his foot in the bathroom. He's putting glass out of his foot in the bathroom on Christmas Eve. Yeah. It, it's, yeah. it, I've it, had a few it Christmas Eve like that, to be honest. <laughs> I'll bet you have in Scotland. <laughs> I'll t- but yeah, just the the Christmas just underlines everything in the film and gives it a, a sort of a feeling that I don't know a lot of other action films don't have. I don't watch Die Hard two constantly thinking oh it's Christmas. Uh, I don't do that mm. in the same way I do Die Hard. And you know it might be the visual references because every time you know that all the the hostages are kept in the lobby and there's a Christmas tree there and he's sort of it's ho 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 motherfucker with yeah. a jumper and all these sort of things. It might be the you know the frequent sort of little nods and visual references that um, are in the background that you don't consciously pick up on, but it, yeah, it just it has a, a, a Christmassy feeling yeah, to it, yeah. and I just want to watch it at Christmas, and I have to watch it every Christmas. And and the fact all the diegetic music, you know, is all the music within yeah. the scenes. Not the not we're not talking about the score. We're talking about the, you know music on the radio or uh, you know things like that. It's all Christmas music, and it's. It really evokes that sort of that feeling of that time of year. Yeah, because it opens and closes with a Christmas song as well, doesn't it? Yes, the, it the, does. The final yeah, the song end is credits, Christmas. You know, all the weather. Anyway, I'm not going to sing again because it makes you uncomfortable. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's it's a Christmas film, and it's it's the one. I think it's the. I mean, I watch Home Alone, Muppets Christmas Carol pretty much every year, um, but I think Die Hard was the film that started that 
hey, do you know what? I'm going to watch a certain number of Christmas films, you know, every every year. Yeah. And it was, I remember the first the first time I, because I think the first time I saw Die Hard, you know, like like you say, it wasn't Christmas. It was like middle of summer or something, like round at a mate's house in the school holidays. Like, this, this film's great. Um, <laughs> but I remember, because my birthday is on Christmas Eve and we would always go out um, when people weren't married and had kids and stuff, like we do now. But we would go out drinking uh, on Christmas Eve and I remember just being in this pub in Edinburgh, and they had Die Hard on TV. And I was like, oh, "That's a bit, bit of a strange thing." To and then I was kind of kept glancing back, and I was like, "Actually, I'm going to need to watch Die Hard again." And I went home and watched it, um, like on, I think on Christmas Day, just before like festivities kicked off. And I was like, "Holy shit!" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's properly, it's properly Christmassy. And then from then on, like I think my birthday every year, I watch Die Hard in the daytime. It's that's just that's just tradition. That's Christmas tradition. Christmas Eve, yeah. Die Hard. It's great. Oh, yeah, yeah. For me, it's 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 my favourite Christmas film. And uh, it's the thing. It's my favourite Christmas film, not because it is the most evocative of Christmas, but just because it's such a fucking kick-ass film. Yeah. I love, you know, I love watching Die Hard. It's so f- much fun. It's so enjoyable. And it's such a good film. The fact that it's Christmas enough for me to warrant watching it at Christmas just makes it my favourite Christmas film. If I had to pick one of those five, it'd be Die Hard. Well, that's just because I enjoy it the most. It is kind of the perfect film for you know you've had a little bit too much to eat, you've had slightly too much to drink, and you kind of you're you're sat you're sort of collapsed on the sofa, and there's there's Bruce Willis kicking ass. Helicopters are blowing up. It's great. Yeah, I'm all for for sentiment and families getting together and being reunited and emotional endings. I'm happy for that. I'd just like to see several hundred people get shot and killed during the process. Well, fortunately for you, Die Hard has both of those things in spades. You know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the the perfect Christmas film. (laughs) Ho, ho, ho. That was nice. That was nice. Bit of Christmas. Christmas first. Nice. Uh, what do you want for Christmas this year, Stuart? Um, I don't know, really. Not asked. That's good, because I've got your fuck all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. I d- I've got to that age where I just don't even think I about know, I know. what I want. It's sad, isn't it? Oh, it's so depressing, yeah. <laughs> it's really sad. Because the thing is, now, as you know, I'm 29 next week. Uh, you're, well, in 10 days. You're, you know, you're 29 now. The thing is, a yeah. tradition, well, not tradition, but, you know, society dictates that really now we should be handing Christmas over to our children. You know, that's, that's the real sad, that's the real sad thing. Oh, no, I'm not ready for that yet. It's, it's really to upset myself now. Just people, people ask me, oh, what do you want for Christmas? I'm like, just give me money. I'll spend it on beer and Tesco meal deals, you <laughs> know. In a week, it'll be gone. Well, listeners, <laughs> that is my life. If you want to get me and Stuart anything for Christmas, why not just tell a friend about us? You know, get them to download the podcast. Uh, follow yeah. us on Twitter, Two Guys Cinema. I'm at Old Man Crondas on Twitter. You are at Thin uh, or like us on Facebook. And uh, we'll be back in the new year with uh, our review of 2014, our favourite films and our least favourite films. And our December podcast, which Mark's trying to rig out. I'm really out. trying to rig out of it. Just, just go and watch The Hobbit. I'd rather fucking cut off my Christmas baubles. 
Right, if you, you 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 have to cut them off or go and see the Hobbit. So if you can send me photographic evidence that you've cut your balls off, then uh, then you don't then you're excused. With uh, which festive imagery, it just leaves me to wish a very merry Christmas to all of you at home. Yeah, merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Stuart. No, that was to the people at home, not you. I oh, know. I was wishing you a merry Christmas. Oh, all right. Merry Christmas, Mark. <laughs>